You're listening to The Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch at thepreppypodcast.com and follow at The Preppy Podcast on social media. Today, I'm so excited to share my interview with J.C. Phelps of JCP Eats. We're kindred spirits and talk about his decision to forego law school for blogging and how that's really paid off, as well as his Kentucky roots and so much more. I also want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, as this is the last episode before the new year. It's been such a fun year with the Preppy Podcast, and we have lots of fun things coming for 2022. All right. Well, why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do? Thank you so much, Patricia, for having me here on the podcast. As you know, I am a huge fan, and I am just tickled pink uh, to be on this week. But um, there's no better way to start than the way I start every blog post. Hey, (laughs) y'all. My name is (laughs) Stacey Phelps, and I author the Southern food blog, JCP Eats, I am a ninth generation Kentuckian, and I split my time between my home in Louisville and my home in my hometown, which is Russell County, and that's a very small rural lake community uh, near the Tennessee border of Kentucky. Oh, awesome. Okay, so now growing up then, were you always helping in the kitchen and cooking and had an interest in food and entertaining and making recipes? Or did this come later in life? Like, talk to me a little bit about growing up. Definitely uh, came by it naturally growing up. So um, I was always around food um, in my childhood. I think food really is an integral part of Southern culture. um, And it's definitely a love language in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, But so I I grew up, um, again, in a really rural community on my family farm, uh, Phelps Acres, which we homesteaded in 1798. Oh, my gosh. after leaving the Phelps house at Fort Boonesboro. So on the farm, my family definitely worked, you know, sun up to sundown. Um, however, I've always felt that the same labor was reciprocated inside of the home by the matriarchs of my family, who are always my idols. So I trace my love of food truly back to them. Um, my great-grandmother, the late Elizabeth Phelps, was an immaculate hostess and even in the 50s and 60s was featured in national publications as a credentialed homemaker and my most favorite there are these wonderful black and white photos of her and my aunt jj um, in the progressive farmer when we were farm family of the year so we've always been known as cooks whether it be my mama or my aunties both my grandmas my mom even had a catering company so i I definitely always enjoyed food. I would say as a, as a youth, I enjoyed eating more than I enjoyed cooking. Um, <laughs> but as I grew older, I certainly love, uh, grew to love uh, the art of cooking as well. That is so cool. So do you have those magazines that you guys were featured in, all of them? 
oh yes, I have. I'm I'm quite the archivist in many ways. So I have lots of very fun family memories, and um, those photos are, you know, specifically that progressive farmer shoot were that they are just, you know, one of my most prized possessions. I absolutely love them. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Me as like a publicist, I love stuff like that. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so now tell me a little bit about like. Um, if you went to college, like where and what did you study? Like, did it have anything to do with cooking or being creative? Like, talk to me a little bit about that. So I would say it didn't have anything to do with cooking, but it mm-hmm. did help me uh, run the business as is. So I attended Center College, which is a small private liberal arts school. Um, and I received my BS in economics and finance. Um, After I did my undergrad, I went on to get my MBA. And after I got my MBA, I enrolled at the University of Louisville School of Law. But I actually left law school to pursue blogging full time. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. So, well, at least now you know with blogging, like all the finance stuff then behind it, right? <laughs> totally. I mean, there. I don't think people realize that aren't in the industry how significant the business portion is of it. And acumen is quite vital. Exactly. And also, like, it's just such a new industry that... Yeah, like the the accounting and the the finance stuff, like really all aspects of it are new. But I think that one's you know something that a lot of people struggle with in it. And I think it's the part that most people hate the most. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's I, true. I, I enjoy it, and you know the the blog is both you know a creative outlet, but it also is very much ran as a business. So I find great joy from both sides. That's really interesting, actually, that you point that out, because I find most people uh, that I interview, they're that creative, like, right side – or left side, right side brain. Is creative right or left? You know, a great question. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> but it's, it's that type of person that's super creative, and everyone I ask them what their least favorite part of what they do, it's always, like, the number stuff, the business aspect, and there's very few that can say that they like that. So I admire that you like that aspect. <laughs> well, thank you, Patricia. <laughs> so now, did you go full-time into blogging right after you decided not to go into law school, or, or did you work and have a little bit of career um, in some like pre-law or finance before then? So I would say um, a little bit of both. I would have considered my blog full-time even when I was a full-time student. So I, I always say my first and only true career has been blogging because I've done it for over a decade. Um, while I was still in like the academic world, I worked in banking. Um, I also did some finance work and lived in Mexico. So that was fun. But, you know, even though I was blogging full time and making an income, I never really thought food blogging was going to be my career of choice. I definitely saw myself being more of a corporate lawyer, working in investment banking, you know, something like that. But I decided to follow the dream um, itself and that passion. And I haven't looked back. Now, out of the blog has also stemmed another career. I um, started doing private sector consulting, again, leaning in on the the business side. Um, And I was in the private sector for about 
three years. And then I made the switch two years ago, actually, to the public sector, uh, which is a really rewarding part of my day. And I love working with um, small businesses to help them with their digital marketing. That's so cool. So let's go back to the blog. Like, when and why did you decide to start it? I'm sure, you know, it's evolved over all these years, right? But let's go back to the beginning. Like, what was the inspiration and what did it start out as? So I was one of those weird kids where I just always loved the internet, right? And if you look back at the first blog, you know, I was in my bedroom on the farm. I was 13. I mean, the blog itself, if it were a human, would be in high school and a teenager right now, which is so funny. Um, But I first started blogging on a website called BuzzNet, and then I made a very common transition. I went to the blogger.com or the blogspot.com space, moved to Tumblr when it became very popular, and then went self-hosted. And I wish I would have done that sooner, but um, neither here nor there. So I definitely started blogging, um, I would say, to, you know, connect with people that had similar interests. I've Mm -hmm. always felt content. Kentucky hasn't, um, you know, always had the best media representation. And I am so proud to be from Kentucky. So I enjoyed always getting to showcase our state. But I've always found that sometimes I have more in common uh, with the people I know online than I do the people in my real life. (laughs) (laughs) So it was definitely an outlet, even somewhat of a journal, I would argue, you know, in the beginning, it was so casual. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that funny? I started blogging when I was uh, like a freshman in college. And it was more like I was just talking about celebrities' outfits. And it's changed so much over the years. So what I think everyone's blogs over these years have changed, and obviously the platforms have changed, and just what people consume has changed. So it's very interesting always to look back, I feel like, when blogging first started. 100%. I mean, I couldn't have even defined search engine optimization back then, you know, and um, it it is funny how how much it has changed and it will continue to change. That is for certain. Definitely. So now talk to me about your blog as it is today and you sort of as an influencer today. Like how would you describe um, what people can find on your blog or following you and uh, the things you post about and things like that? Yeah, so I always say that JCP Eats is kind of a guide to a well-fed life. And that that point of a view and that lifestyle is certainly below the Mason-Dixon line. It's very Southern leaning. I post a lot of easy, very filling, delicious meals. And, um, you know, I focus on food that really makes you feel good. It's similar to the food that I had growing up with my family. So you need not have a high level culinary acumen to do the things that I show online um, because I cook for the everyday person and and I'm proud of that. So um While the blog is mostly food um, these days and has been for, you know, seven, eight years now, that actually always wasn't the case. And this is a question I always, you know, kind of like to talk about because it is it is strange. But um, I made food my focus in 2013. And that was my second semester of undergrad. And. I've always been really public about this, but I've um, suffered from disordered eating uh, much of my life. In t- my entire life, I've certainly dealt with binge eating, but in that semester of college, I was actually diagnosed with bulimia. And 
um, through therapy. Of course, my therapist knew that I blogged and kind of had that career going on and a job outside of school. Um, she challenged me to start taking more photos of food to change my relationship with food. And so that is truly how JCP Eats came to be. It induced a name change, made me switch my niche. And, um, you know, that was a really hard point of my life. But I look back at it now and I think, you know, look at everything that has stemmed from it. So um, I find great solace in that too. I love that, you know, you're able to share that story and that you turned you know, your blog helped you through that, I feel like. I feel like a lot of people can relate to that, whether, you know, if they have an eating disorder or not. Just a lot of people, I think, go and create a blog because maybe they're shy and so it's a way of connecting with others or maybe they need a creative release. So I think a lot of people relate to, you know, starting a blog or starting a side hustle of some sort as like a as a need for something else, if that makes sense. 100%. And one of the things I didn't realize, you know, coming out of it after doing that would be the response from men, you know, so often eating disorders is for whatever reason deemed kind of emasculating. And um, I've had several men and still have men reach out to me to this day that read that blog post or read an article that I've contributed to saying, you know, it's, it's good to hear another man talk about this. Um, publicly. And so that's something I didn't think about prior to doing it, but another one of those um, unintended benefits. It's been a really powerful discourse. Yeah, I, I love that, that you're helping others and connecting with others through it. You know, like we said before, sometimes the people that we meet on the internet, we have more in common with than some people, you know, our neighbors or some of our friends in what we call real life, let's say. So that's wonderful that you've sort of created a community then from this. Thank you. So now, when would you say then, you know, obviously this was a turning point in your blog in direction, but when would you say that you were able to sort of take it to the next level and be profitable with the blog and sort of make it a business then? Like when when were you able to do that and sort of what were the steps that you put in place or, you know, the, the elements to make it that way? Yeah, so... Um, I've definitely been profitable for, you know, upwards of a decade, I would yeah. say, which is really awesome, but definitely not to the level that, you know, that I profit today. I would say that turning point was truly leaving, you know, law school before I was when I was in law school and doing my master's, I definitely made enough to, you know, keep myself up or whatever it might be, pay my spending money, traveling, but it wasn't what I would deem a full-time income. And having 100% of my efforts to focus on the blog, which then turned into my sole form of employment, um, definitely is when it skyrocketed. So the steps that I took, I would say one of the largest things I did was invest significantly in my SEO. And if there's one thing I could tell a blogger or someone that wants to be an influencer, it's that, you know, it's not always about the social media platforms. You own the blog and you uh, that's your domicile. And so I definitely put the most efforts there and investing both time and money into SEO has paid off time and time again. Definitely. I love that. I feel like I preach that all the time about, you know, social media is great, but 
at the end of the day, it's really your own website or your own platform. That's so important. Um, so now speaking of SEO, then did you, was this something that, you know, you sort of studied yourself and were able to implement or did you hire out for that? So unfortunately in the beginning, I definitely hired out and, Mm -hmm. you know, SEO is almost a language in and of itself. And so while that was a financial spend, um, it helped me, you know, recover old posts and boost old posts to the point where they need to be. And then at the same time, through that investment, I learned greatly from them. Now I'm like a total nerd on SEO and, you know, I do it all myself, but I don't regret um, spending the money in the beginning because it certainly put me on the correct trajectory. Definitely. No, SEO is so important. It's one of those things that I put off to, and I know so many businesses do because it's kind of like no one, everyone knows what it means, but like you really don't know what it includes to some extent, if that makes sense. And so I I had someone consult with me and it's like, I just need to invest in that more. But it's just a whole, like you said, a different language. (laughs) It it totally is. But you know, 80% of my blog traffic is organic search. Wow. um, Which is a pretty high percentage. And so I do think it's worth it. But I think back on those days where I was wanting to pull my hair out, you know, changing my SEO and things like that. And I think I'm glad I did it, but I sure am glad I'm no longer doing that. (laughs) Yes, yes. No, for sure. Um, And I think, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about when you were able to take it to the next level was when you were able to focus on, you know, your blog full time and fully commit to it. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, whether it's a blog or, you know, a brand or business that they're starting is, you know, you don't want to take that leap because it's scary, the finances and relying on that one thing. But that's when you really can sort of flourish with it is if you can put everything in it, if you can put all your time into it. So it's kind of like this, you know, this payoff at the end. It totally is. And not to get like totally boring econ major, but, you know, (laughs) high risk does lead to higher return. And, um, you know, when I was in law school, I was thinking to myself, I have such an opportunity cost. Not only am I not making as much money as I could, but here are three years of my life. What could be if I invested that time? And so going out on a limb and taking that risk um, and leveraging your opportunity costs really can pay off in the long run. And the other thing, too, that's wonderful about online is that, one, there are so many resources but people are resources and so many wonderful friends in the blog world that I you know, have used as resources throughout the years. They've helped me. I've helped others. So, you know, it, it's amazing to know that you're not in this boat by yourself, that there's a whole community of people, if you find them, that will be behind you. Definitely. Now, so you kind of mentioned this, but would your biggest marketing tool be SEO or would you say Instagram or tell me a little bit about what your best marketing tool has been? Yeah, my best marketing tool definitely has been SEO. Um, but like any you know modern digital business, social is still important to me. Um, although I mostly focus on Pinterest um, of the social platforms, I feel like that is a you know large niche for fashion bloggers, but also especially for food bloggers because mm-hmm. that's where we go looking for recipes, right? Yeah. Um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. You know, I, I certainly leverage them all, but also kind of old school. And maybe this is because I've 
um, done it for so long, but word of mouth is really popular um, in terms of marketing still for me, whether it be through the communities in which I work or also I do um, regular TV segments in the Louisville market. Um, So I'm always on there every week, you know, talking about the blog and the things that I'm doing that week. That's awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, don't take advantage enough of their local markets. Like everyone dreams big picture and on this national scale and connecting with strangers on the it on the internet. But it, there's a lot to be said about local press. Just from working in PR, I think everyone loves to support someone local. So those do really well too, and it's overlooked a lot. I, I think it definitely is, and your PR perspective is is so important. I feel like. Um, you know, local press is oftentimes the link to national press. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're pitching to a national outlet or something, um, I I have found such greater success in linking, you know, that story or a similar storyline in local media. And I I think that gives it some significance in your pitch. Um, So I, I totally agree with that. I love local TV. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially for TV, it shows that you can speak in front of a camera and you're not just going to clam up or anything. So I think, yeah, I agree completely with what you're saying. So what would you say has been like the biggest challenge for you in terms of blogging and business in this aspect? Like what what's always the hardest? I would say the hardest thing for me is adapting to the new trends. I mean, I would like to think that I'm still young, but I'm not as young as I used to be. (laughs) And trendy has never been a word to describe me. So um, while I'm on TikTok, I'm not going to be, you know, doing any dances or (laughs) um, anything like that. I'm cringing at the mere thought of of my doing that. Um, So I I think the greatest challenge is realizing that... um, you have to adapt, but I think there's also something to be said by staying true to who you are mm-hmm. and not succumbing to that pressure. Definitely. And, you know, I talked about this with Kate um, on the last episode or a few episodes ago because she's the same way. You know, she's like, it's just not genuine to be me dancing, you know, in front of the camera or something like that. And I think, you know, there's a platform for everyone. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try TikTok or go outside of your box a little bit. But some things, you know, you can't be everything to everyone, if that makes sense. 100%. And you're not going to have the highest return. If you're going to have stronger return or a better pool on, you know, your natural form of media or content creation, in the long run, I feel like you'll reap more benefits if you invest your time, energy, and money there. So I think it's a comfortability thing, but it's also a business move. Definitely. Now, on the flip side to that question, what like are you really proud of? What's been like the coolest thing you've been able to do? Wow. So, you know, throughout the years, I've done so many cool things. If you would have ever told me that, you know, this little country boy from Kentucky <laughs> would get to do these things, I would, you know, just die. But um, apart from that, above everything else, my greatest success or joy has been being able to represent the Commonwealth of Kentucky. 
For many Kentucky businesses and brands, I have been the first, and for many of them, the only spokesperson they've ever had. And I say spokesperson that's kind of dated. I rarely use the word influencer. I mostly say blogger. But, you know, I, I get to represent these people in media, um, on my own platforms and, you know, local and national media. And I love that. Um, and also with the state, um, I've had the opportunity to work with the governor's office most recently in the pandemic with the hashtag Team Kentucky um, protocol, encouraging people to be safe. Um, and I also work a lot with um, our tourism department at the state, along with individual CVBs. So while there are larger things in scale, that would mean more to maybe the average Joe or Jane um, getting to represent my great commonwealth and getting to work around Kentucky will never be top for me. I'm about as Kentucky as they come. <laughs> I love that. I love how proud you are to be from Kentucky. I feel similar in Pennsylvania here in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm third generation from the same high school as my parents and grandfather. And so I have a lot of pride in that. So I, I admire that in you then as well, you know, your roots. That, that's something that can never be taken from you, reciprocated, and, you know, it's it's the one one major part of your story. And so I've, I was always raised to have pride in it. I love that. Now, you know, we talked about how you love collaborating with all these wonderful Kentucky brands and tourism board and everything like that. But if you could pick um, another brand to collaborate with or maybe a TV show to be on or something like that? Like what would your dream collab or feature be? So I have a steadfast answer to that. <laughs> my dream collaboration would be with Duke's Mayonnaise, which oh is my gosh, the, love. the mayonnaise of the South, of yeah. course. And if there's one brand that I am loyal to in this world, and there are many, um, number one is Duke. So if they are listening holler at me. We can work out a trade. I will work for mayonnaise. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's necessary it. for pimento cheese. So we could do that. In terms of shows, um, you know, this is a small local goal. I've never been on KET, which is uh, Kentucky Educational Television. I grew up watching it. I would love a cooking show on there. But if I were reaching, you know, having a fantasy world, if, if Ina Garten wants to invite me to a dinner party, I won't say no. <laughs> I love those answers. That's great. Um, who are some of your favorite accounts or people to follow on social media, would you say? Oh, I absolutely adore. And the name is fitting for the podcast, Preppy Kitchen. He is one of the largest food bloggers um, in the United States, arguably the world, John Cannell, um, he and his husband and their children, I mean, they are just precious and his food is just mouthwatering. So I absolutely love following him and I followed him for years. Um, not in the food world, there are several um, other, you know, kind of preppy style bloggers that I love following. I think she's been on here, but I love Simply Elsa. Yes, I'm seeing her tonight. She's great. Oh, are you really? <laughs> well, you, you can tell her I gave her the shout out, but I will. she is, um, you know, absolutely gorgeous. I love her style and um, I love that she represents for 
the mid-size to the smaller end of the plus size scale. And yeah. I've always, you know, been plus size myself. And she is such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, Elsa's great. I'll, I'll definitely tell her that. <laughs> so now since this is the Preppy Podcast, and you know, I always ask everyone, what does Preppy mean to you? Like, how would you describe Preppy today? So I thought about this question, Patricia, because I knew <laughs> it was coming, right? But um, I, I think others have said this, but I'll elaborate. Preppy, I really believe, is a lifestyle. It's always a word that... I have associated with and others have associated with me. Um, but really, I think preppy or being preppy is to have an overwhelming sense and respect for tradition, whether that be quality made goods for your heirloom pieces, for a lifestyle that's seemingly all American. And I also think there's a piece of it that's upholding your family to the highest regard. I think that's very classic prep. Um, so it certainly is a style of dress too, but I think it's more of a format of, or you know, for one's life really. And then there's also the difference in Northern and Southern prep, right? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I have qualities that I think lean into both. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, I'm more on the Southern side of life. So um, many of my preppy icons, though, another great one, an original preppy blogger, Muffy Aldrich of The Daily Prep. Um, I have followed her maybe 15 years or something. You know, she's iconically Northeastern, but um, here in the South, I'll take, you know, my Lily Pulitzer in any denomination it comes. So um, I'm definitely more of the of the Southern um, Southern Association. <laughs> I love that answer. That's a great answer. So now I have a few like little holiday related short answer questions for you. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite holiday tradition? So this is maybe such a boring and predictable <laughs> answer, but of course it's gathering around the table, you know, with loved ones, uh, with food and, um, again, I really think food is a love language and there's no more time special to gather than the holidays and to share gratitude and appreciation for those people being in your life. And I do that through cooking. Um, so that would be my favorite tradition. No, that's perfect. Now, what's a good recipe that people can find on your blog to try for the holidays? Oh, that is, that's a good one. Um, I would say my favorite recipe and just an iconic family recipe this time of year for both Thanksgiving and Christmas now this season is my granny's uh, pecan pie. So mm -hmm. the recipe on the blog, I, I do truly think is extraordinary. I'm biased because it's hers, but <laughs> it is the best pecan pie of all time. And I amp it up just a little bit with um, Rivulet, who's one of my wonderful um, multi-year partners on the blog. It's a pecan liqueur that's made in Louisville. And so anything that you want to have maybe a nutty essence or anything that you have that has pecans in it, adding a splash of, of Rivulet to it really amps it up. So um, I, I really think that's a special holiday dessert. And it's that, you know, that good old Southern feel-good food. <laughs> that sounds delicious. <laughs> Now, what about your go-to drink for the holidays? Is there like a cocktail recipe or a type of wine that you go to? What would you say? 
Yeah, so definitely a go-to recipe. And I've never posted this on the blog, surprisingly, but it is being posted this month. Um, I recently made it in the president's mansion of my college, and it's going out with the Christmas card for center, which I love. But it's the poinsettia. Really simple. It's cranberry and triple sec um, shaken over ice, and you top it with Prosecco or champagne, and you garnish it with fresh cranberries and rosemary. It's gorgeous and very festive. Um, but as a Kentucky boy, I also have to shout out the fact that bourbon is always a good idea, you know. And uh, we call that the Kentucky hug, that little burn in your chest. And so, um, it, any any Kentucky hug will keep you warm during Christmas too. <laughs> That's so great. That's awesome. <laughs> Now, how are you setting the table for the holidays? Like, do you use some of um, your your mom's uh, plates and uh, linens, or like, what what? How do you envision the table being set for the holidays? I'm Patricia. I'm so extra. Of course, I've had it set <laughs> for a month and had a photographer in to take photos of me at it and all of these things. But um, like you, I love. Chinoiserie, everything. And the holidays is probably the one time that I steer just ever so slightly away from it and go more traditional. Um, so my aunt JJ, who I mentioned earlier, she was, I mean, she's just my my icon. And I was actually listening to what was this week's episode um, at the time of recording. And uh, the guest described her mother as the original Martha Stewart. Uh-huh. And what's so funny is my aunt JJ's next door neighbor always described her as the original Martha Stewart without the insider trading. <laughs> <laughs> or the jail time, right? Like Absolutely. any of that. <laughs> that was not Cooth and it was not for a Kentucky woman like her. Um, but so JJ passed the summer. She was 91 Aww. and we were absolutely thick as thieves. And so um, in honor of her this year and every Christmas from now on, I will be using her Christmas china, which is very traditional. And uh-huh. so I've set the table with that handmade um, placemats underneath by her. And the centerpiece is um, a beautiful magnolia centerpiece, very Southern, with red candles and um, ruby thumbprint glassware. Um, And, of course, for good measure, one ginger jar. (laughs) I love that. Okay, so you is this already posted on your Instagram or will it be around Christmas so we can go and look for this? It will be around Christmas. And one of my other favorite parts I'm going to include, there's a gorgeous chandelier um, over the table, and she made these really stunning chandelier adornments by hand. And so each um, each of the lights off of the fixture also adorned, um, and they, are, they they look like mini poinsettias. They are very pretty. So oh it's my a- goodness, I cannot wait to see this. This sounds <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> Thank you. She was she was certainly amazing and had amazing style. Um, oh. She. She could do anything, and she would do it in a St. John pantsuit. <laughs> I love that. I should have had her on the podcast, too. <laughs> oh, she was a preppy icon. I'm I'm a preppy popper compared to her. <laughs> oh, I love that. She sounds fabulous. Um, so what's one thing on your wish list this year? So 
people often tell me that I'm like the hardest person to buy for. <laughs> and I say that because if I see something I like, I just buy it. <laughs> yeah. So a wonderful gift, you know, I will always accept ginger jars or anything antique. But um, the other thing I usually ask for that's less fun to buy with my, my own resources is camera equipment. So any new camera equipment, accessories, I love when I'm gifted those because um, while I enjoy playing with them, they are expensive and very dull to shop for. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. So now any sneak peeks, like what's next for you? Um, what can people look for? So I'm planning for a very exciting 2022. Um, I am doing a lot more TV work, so Ooh. more to come there. And I'm really taking on, I think, something special on the blog. I've always featured many family recipes um, and family is, you know, it means so much to me, but this year, starting in January, I'm doing a year-long series where I cook uh, from my Auntie JJ's handwritten recipe cards. Oh. And it's going to be you know, a way to honor her. She is certainly the inspiration above anyone else uh, for the blog. But, you know, I'll be honoring her legacy through cooking. And, um, you know, in an odd way, it will be a form of mourning, too, yeah. it, you know. Um, and I, I plan to do this all in her kitchen, which is even oh more special. That um, is so cool. Yes. Yeah, so I, I am, um, you know, renovating her, her home and plan to make it my, you know, my residence. And it was stunning as is, but I'm turning the kitchen more so into a filming kitchen. And that will be really special. So I, I think more than anything I have done over these, you know, 13, 14 years, this is something I will look back on and be the most proud of. Apart from that, I hope to do more video. Video has been such a hurdle for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm telling myself this is the year of YouTube. It's good for SEO, you know, to have linked video, of course, in the blog post. And yeah. The short form content is fine, but I would like to do very casual, you know, cooking videos with me where I, I want you to feel like you're sitting in the kitchen and we're having a big hee-haw. And um, I think YouTube is the platform for that. So I'm saying it here to you to hold myself accountable there. <laughs> I, I will hold you accountable because I started a vlog channel where I share some of the more exciting parts of my PR job for fun events and things like that. And it is, it's hard doing video. I agree with you. So we can hold each other accountable to do more videos next year. We will do it. I, I think we... <laughs> Um, I think we could be great friends and we're certainly kindred spirits, I think. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so now my last question is, where can people find you? Let everyone know your website URL, your social media handles. That way they can follow along, try your amazing recipes and look for these fun things from you. Sure. So you can find uh, the blog online at jcpeats.com. Um, I also have a secondary site, which is uh, very focused on Kentucky called Unabashedly Southern. And that is either reachable at unabashedlysouthern.com or jacobcphelps.com. Um, on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest, I am at 
JCP Eats. However, on TikTok, I am at Jacob C. Phelps. Um, I don't have the food blog name on there. So um, that's where you can find me. And I would love to see y'all. And again, Patricia, I want to say thank you so much for having me and for your digital hospitality since we're not in person. But um, this was such a great joy. And I really enjoyed being here with you today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I love this conversation. It was so fun. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. Thank you.